Welcome to the Dev House Podcast, your window into the metaverse. I am Jim Welch. Your co-host today with me is Liam Gilmore. Hi, everybody. I uh, I was talking to the team, I don't know, like 20 minutes ago when I was writing up some notes for the podcast. And I said, every time I write Liam's name, I really want to write Liam Neeson. And my <laughs> brain immediately goes to it and I have to work so hard. Oh, no, yeah. I've had that my entire life. Yeah. Every single person. And I almost did it again. I almost introduced you as Liam Neeson. And that, I mean, that would be really cool if he was here, but... Uh, you know, he was busy. So I hate to disappoint. We get the second Liam, I guess. It's fine. But uh, so yeah, today we uh, we have a more kind of gaming focused podcast uh, at the Dev House. We do uh, you know AR, VR, Metaverse stuff, but gaming is actually kind of a core uh, pillar in what we do. And and most of our background for for everyone who works here is kind of in the gaming industry. We love building games, whether it's our own little games or you know playing games that are AAA playing competitive esport games like it's it's a very core bit of our culture here so it's fun to do episodes like this where we get to get to talk about it so without further ado uh let's get into the news so the uh the news today this one is maybe a shift from former games to no longer games with the magic leap 2 um so magic leap was initially a uh, consumer it was a, a vr headset Uh, That was meant to be similar to like HoloLens or very loosely, uh, you could say Oculus Quest. Uh, The difference from this and a Quest would be, um, you know, the the Quest is a VR headset that blocks out everything. You can't see anything real. You just see digital. It's a VR. Um, The HoloLens and the Magic Leap, these are headsets that you can see through. It's sort of like augmented reality. Mixed reality is a more accurate term. It's where you see digital entities, digital objects within the real world uh, environment. Um, And not just that, but typically these digital objects can interact with the real world objects. They can't like knock a dish over or something, but if you bounce a ball against, you know, a wall, it'll know there's a wall there and the ball will bounce back even if it's a digital bouncy ball. So, Um, so yeah, the Magic Leap One was targeted for consumers, video games, whatever you and I might want to do on one of these headsets. It did not do well. <laughs> they had a really big hype. So anyone who wasn't following this, they had a really huge hype where they had these really cool, polished uh, sort of promotional bits. Um, I had friends that worked there. It was a really exciting time. They had a ton of funding. I think it was like the biggest C round raise since like Uber or something. Oh wow! Um, yeah, they they got a bunch of money from Google and all these really big companies. And there was a sense of mystery, like, hey, we're working on something, but we're not going to talk about it. And it was really exciting to see what would come out. And then it came out and it was it was usable and it was fun to play with. I, I did some hackathons with one and made some apps, but I think it got overly hyped and it didn't didn't execute at the level people expected. Yeah. Um, so they they kind of like shut down more or less, but without totally closing the doors and they rebranded to go more for an enterprise play. So so now there's a focus where they sort of started showing images of the new headset. It looks kind of pretty. I don't know. I I, I like it. <laughs> I think it's aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, yeah. There's like you get the kind of stereoscopic camera uh, in the center. I assume it's stereoscopic because you see two lenses. Yeah. I don't know what those bottom little lenses are um, on it, but uh, intrigued at, at the very least. Yeah. And it just it has a nice aesthetic. So good job product uh, builder. Um, and 
the the kind of news about it other than seeing imagery of it is they're going to be focusing on healthcare. So um, that is a really well-known vertical in the VR space. So the MR space, I'm intrigued on how they foresee that. So maybe I'm a physician who puts on a, a little headset, uh, the, the Magic Leap 2, and maybe while we're talking, I can do something incorporating your body right yeah. like it's normally you could like train surgeons or do things that are risky to people in virtual reality and that makes a lot of sense i'm not sure yet how magically sees mr being used in healthcare but intriguing and it's interesting to see how that sort of augmented layer can be used yeah i'd be really interested to see like five years from now the expansion on everything and like getting it into the industry, how right. everything looks different. I know there's been a lot of those like um, kind of conceptual videos where it's like how, and mostly they're they're sort of um, trying to get like negative attention, but it's like, what could the world look like if AR was just like part of our vision? Yeah. And they put like a hundred pop-ups everywhere in ads and it's really intrusive. Again, more just for that shock value. Right. Uh, but theoretically, something like this could be helpful for that where maybe someone comes in and, and the patient history is like right there in your vision while you're talking to them. You don't have to pull up a clipboard. And, yeah. And I'm sure there's lots of really cool ideas. But, but yeah, so Magically is back and they're still out there still doing stuff. So... Um, beyond Magic Leap, let's let's talk about some gear. So the gear we're talking about today is the Steam Deck. So now a little bit more pointed focus on gaming. Um, Steam games are something that I think most of the gaming industry we're we're spreading out a little bit more. But I think there's a period of time, at least for me, where I shifted from heavy console to almost all PC. Yeah. No, for me, like pretty much every game I've owned for the last eight years is on my Steam account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and they ha- they used to, I don't know if people still, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty busy now with the business, but if people still have those like holiday Steam sales where they just like, well, it's a dollar, why not? And yeah. you buy like seven games and it's like, well, when will I play them? I don't know. And see. We'll find some time. <laughs> yeah, we'll find some time. And so what excites me about the Steam Deck is it's a portable Live, it's, it's like a Nintendo Switch. It's a portable gaming system for your Steam library, which is kind of crazy because it's like, how can we support these kind of PC, which is typically really resource intensive experiences on a mobile device? Yeah. Um, one, it's a lot bigger than a Switch, so it can hold a lot more um, power, so to speak. Um, and then also it's not trying to render such a big quality image on such a big screen, right? So if you yeah. have like an Xbox... Uh, or a PlayStation, it needs to put out like a very high resolution picture on a very large screen. Since this one is smaller, I think it's 720, I think, which sounds weird, but I'm pretty positive that's what I heard. Um, but really? it, it okay. supposedly looks great. I, I haven't held one yet, um, but they, the news related to this gear is that it's supposed to start shipping on the, the 25th of February um, of 2022. Um, so people will start getting these in their hands and uh, and, and getting to play with them. So uh, we're looking at a, a video right now, if you're watching this on YouTube, and we can see Control, which is an awesome game. I love Control. It's sort of like, a, it reminds me like Parasite Eve meets Resident Evil meets, I don't know, some more action-y game than either of those, but <laughs> it's fun. I, I really like control, but it's resource intensive. There's a lot of physics stuff yeah. that happens. Um, what would be like, what games would you play on this, Liam? Like if you had one, what do you see like wanting to play on the go? 
Well, so for me, I mostly play like in a central position. Like I don't really play games on mobile. You know, like go to the park and want to yeah, play Yeah, I don't want to. I just want to show up in a random place, hold my video game. Yeah. Uh, I think the only place I would would be the car yeah. when I'm passenger. So that would definitely be a place where I'd put it. I'd be... Uh, I'm super looking forward to see if it disrupts uh, with Switch at all because right. it's um, it's bringing everything into that mobile environment and invading Ninte- what's been Nintendo's space for the last like three or four years at least. Yeah. So uh, having way more availability, I'd be super interested to see what the market's going to look like after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo's always dominated that. I mean, since Game Boy, like it's you know there was there was a brief period I, I owned the uh, Game Gear, which was Sega's uh, foray into it, and the Game Gear was pretty cool though. It used batteries. I think it was double A batteries, but just ate through them. So you had like have a oh, pack yeah. of batteries that you like swap <laughs> in. And I remember like there was a magnifying screen. You're 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 probably younger than too young to remember, but there'd be like a screen you would attach to make the screen look bigger. It's like yeah. big magnifying glass yeah. and lights. And was, we went through a lot for mobile gaming before, but now this is pretty much somewhat no compromise. They did mention the battery life anywhere between like one and a half to four hours. They claim four hours for like portal two ish experience. Yeah. Um, there's been some people saying they're not seeing those results. Some early testers, uh, you can get like anti screen glare version, um, which tends to kind of dull the colors, which we're looking at a little bit here on the comparison video. Um, And so it's like, man, I would want to play outside, but do you want to lose that vibrancy? Um, Or maybe just get a sticker. Like our screen here at at the DevHouse podcast, we have an anti-glare screen. So maybe just get it aftermarket and you stick it on. If it's bothering you, you can rip it off. Oh, yeah. Um, But exciting nonetheless. It has a Linux system on it. You theoretically, supposedly, can install your own games and software, though I haven't seen footage of that. Um, so intrigued by this, I would love something like this. I just don't know, um, how, how it'll be. So we'll see end of next, you know, end of February. If it runs well, I think it's going to be a pretty good competitor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how will it disrupt Nintendo space? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So dev abominations, let's jump right into it. We're, we're having fun talking about video games. So, uh, so speaking of video games, we make video games at Dev House. Uh, you know, sometimes more games than others, but our favorite stuff that we really have fun with is video games. Um, this is from a VR game that we're currently building. It's an internal project. So um, this is one that we get to kind of be creative on. Um, and it's it's a math game for for children. So um, it's to help kids learn math, which is it's fun to do something like socially responsible as well. Um, but we are experimenting with different types of weaponry. We initially had a bow and arrow um, that was kind of cool, but kind of complicated. If you've ever done like the Steam VR bow and arrow, yeah, it's like okay, grab the bow with this, and then hold the arrow, and then click that, make sure it's, and then release that button, but not that button, and it, yeah. Especially for kids, but even people who aren't really comfortable with video game controllers, the coordination of hold, position, hold, release can be confusing. I feel like it's also hard to line that type of stuff up, especially when you can't yes. physically feel it. Because right. if you were holding an actual bow in your hand, you could easily line that up. But because sure. it's just this random thing and floating in space yeah. in VR, you don't actually have the availability to do that quite right. Yep. And that's something to keep in mind for VR development in general is you know, you add little things like uh, the, the particular tool that we use for the bow and arrow had some nice add-ons like, oh, make a vibration when you get in the right place. And you try to do things to help, but you're right. Yeah. It's it's inherently very challenging. So so we shifted to to a Nerf gun. And because we're like, oh, we don't want guns. It's for kids. And Nerf gun was kind of fun. But then the, the idea of being able to like paintball splat stuff was really fun. Like just very satisfying in VR. You shoot things and paint shows up everywhere. 
but the technology we're using, uh, it does projections. And so the hand has paint on it, but this particular bug showcases, well, now that I've grabbed the gun, the gun looks like it's covered in paint, which is feature. <laughs> you know, I it don't know. It looks good to me. I yeah. Mean. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you have paint on your hand and you touch the gun, I mean, yeah, it gets on the gun. Uh, but yeah, so so it's a, a work in progress. We're, we're hoping to, to wrap this up fairly soon, but uh, it's, it's a fun project we're working on. But um, cool. Well, with that, let's bring on our guest today. Uh, Nabil has joined us. Um, he works for a really cool company doing really cool stuff. Um, so I, w- I will let Nabil introduce himself. Hey, man. Hey. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Nabil Pervez. I'm the, the CTO of AOE Creative and uh, Blast Radius. I'm also one of the board members of the Dallas IGDA. Um, I've been, I kind of came up from the, uh, the gaming and esports community. Um, I got my start shoutcasting uh, for grassroots smash tournaments to eventually getting to the point where I was shoutcasting for Blizzard, Activision, Red Bull, uh, Amazon. Um, and along the way, um, I'm kind of a weird one. Uh, I have a lot of experience in, uh, in development. I originally went to college for uh, business but all, and, and marketing, but also uh, computer science. So uh, specifically, I started off in A-Tech and uh, I, I ha- ended up shifting from there, but my passions really didn't. So um, I'm lucky enough to have friends like Jim and, and a lot of these folks that are in the local community out here that are, are working hard in game development. And it's something that I just live and breathe uh, 24-7. I can't really escape it at this point. Um, and I'm really lucky that I'm able to do so. Um, so so I, me. I did not know <laughs> that you had some programming background. Do you ever do you ever still code? Are you ever still playing yeah. around? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm still I mean, I still have to write scripts in Python. I'd still I'm still working on web dev stuff on my off time. So whenever I'm I'm not doing the nine to five thing, I'm doing web uh, website development and stuff on the sides for um so lately I've been trying to make it a focus for um black owned businesses that they might not necessarily have all the the resources that um, they need at the moment. So I say, that's cool, bro. I'll help you with your website. I'll get you something started. Um, so let me, let me see how I can help you. So, uh, I'm trying to, to, to stay sharp as much as I possibly can. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's on that topic. I just recently started doing those like kind of code challenges. There's those websites where it'll like post a challenge and you can like time yourself and how fast. So to sort of knock the the rust off, cause, cause similar to your, you're probably business experience it's like the, your day job is mostly you know not in code and and i'm in that experience too and so it's been fun to sort of like try to solve these problems um sometimes frustrating but <laughs> ultimately satisfying <laughs> but yeah so our our main topic today that we want to talk to you about is kind of how do you see you know you're you're very closely tied to the esports community how do you see esports kind of being affected by you know our, our podcast is about the metaverse the metaverse is like kind of touching a lot of things. I mean, even with the the Blizzard activation acquisition, I feel like that was heavily influenced by like IP ownership for this metaverse push. What do you see the impact being on on uh, esports in this space? So, I I agree with you that I I think that with Microsoft particularly also being vocal about NFT and Web three in general, I, I do see that this is something that is is on their sites and it's and it's it's not a matter of. If I, I'm in the camp, it's not a matter of it's, if it's a matter of when um, and when it becomes more popular. It tr- Truthfully, there's a lot of mixed emotions in gaming and esports right now towards um, 
blockchain tech in general, I suppose is the right way of saying it. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, is that I feel like there's a mix of, um, I think there's a mix of misinformation, but also a lot of uh, the, the scammy stuff has become very popular to talk about, right? Um, there's, but ultimately, that, that has driven the narrative towards utility and making people understand like there's more to it. And guys like Mike Shinoda is saying, I can take this skin from one game to the other. Obviously, people are poking holes, like it, it, holes in that like crazy. But the mindset instead of like, people are starting to understand the idea of if you come into it with the mindset of building a proper game first and then incorporating NFTs on top of it and making that feel closer to the CSGO interactions that have existed for years, by the way, um, then I think people are more on board with that. I, I think that because of the bad taste that people have gotten in their mouths of saying NFT and associating it with anything Jake Paul's doing, <laughs> the 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 problem then you know becomes okay. Well, how do we how do we now backtrack and and kind of bring that back up and make people feel more excited about it? But I I'm in the camp that it's it's going to take time, but I think that it's coming. Right. I think that if as long as you can point back to successful case studies like how the CSGO marketplace works, I think you will be just fine. Sure. So so talk about CSGO as an example. So when I think of like game economies, I, I think of some like successes and some some non-successes. You know, the mm-hmm. Diablo 3 marketplace pops to mind as something that didn't go so well on launch. Um, what you, you kind of point to CSGO as something that you think does work well. What do you think works well about that system and how does that help us kind of pave the way maybe on the right way to do it? I think I, I should possibly also just expand that to also Dota as well too. I think Valve has done a good job of when it comes to to those, I think it comes down to scarcity, supply and demand and, and whatnot. And it and it's natural inherently, right? Um I you know, if you really want that dragon lore op, you're going and, and in perfect condition, you're going to drop the however many thousands of dollars it is now and and go for it, right? And I think the that it's it's not all that foreign for people that have been part of that community. So I, I think that ultimately, if you can get to a place where you're willing to have that discussion, here, here's a better example. If there is a real, there was a really interesting talk um, by Devin Nash who talked about one of the players um, that was on TSM at the time. I, th- I believe he's on FlyQuest now, named Afromu. Now there's this really rare skin in League of Legends called Black Alistair. Black Alistair is so OG in the game, they don't sell it anymore. There's no way to get it. And accounts that have it are like coveted by, by some of these people, right? And I would imagine someone like Afromu is willing to pay anywhere into the thousands of dollars or because he's a millionaire, tens of thousands of dollars. He doesn't care about money at this point to get that particular skin, right? Well, it unless you're getting that account, doesn't work. So right. well, this is where you introduce the concept of NFT. And as soon as you say, bro, it's just a skin and it clicks and everyone's cool with it. And then I think they'll move on from there. Like as long as it doesn't have anything that directly affects the game being a game, I think people will be, are going to be fine with it. I think people have been very much conditioned to it, but now that it's been a a rough time in in the the past couple couple of years, when it comes to how people are seeing it, I, I think that's going to change once they start to understand the utility that could potentially come from it. Right. And with anything, there's that, that, uh, what do they call Like the, the trough of acceptance or whatever that diagram mm-hmm. is where something new comes along. It seems really 
weird or kind of scary or yucky. And so everyone's like, no, I, I don't want that. And then there's some acceptance. And then it's like, okay, yeah, we can find the value in, in that product. Um, yeah. I, I know, Liam, you've done some like more on the, the, the music games, like kind of more competitive space. Like how do you see like maybe you appreciating some of some of this stuff like would you see yourself wanting an nft for like if you're like yeah you're still active in that scene you're like i want some some clout is that something that you would want to spend money on or would do you not see yourself doing that i think because for me and a lot of my personal achievements whenever i'm doing something online whatever what have you if i could have something that shows other people the cool thing that i did then that's the value to me saying like, Oh, I dedicated my time and my energy to making something that not everybody can do mm-hmm. and having something to show that, um, that's my use for NFTs. I see. Yeah. Um, and keeping track of stats maybe for games. Sure. Uh, the future's not super certain for me on that end. Cause I don't, I just haven't seen the application for it yet. Right. But, um, if the applications were there, I would certainly do it. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to think like, cause in that community, there's, you know, leaderboards and ways that it's represented, but that, that representation doesn't necessarily, uh, translate to other communities. Yeah. And, and so maybe if there's some kind of central place that we eventually all kind of commune to, which hasn't been established yet, you know, Meta's yeah. trying to build one, Microsoft's trying to build one and, and hopefully it all coalesces into a single place is the vision that, that we all hope for. But then you could have that that thing that yeah. says that that is not just a i'm telling you i've done this but it's like yes it's by this company um you know if, if it's like beat saber for example like it's a beat saber sponsored nft that says you were ranked such and such and such and such right like yeah. that that would be cool and, and you can sort of be proud of that and i think that translates a lot to sort of online clout and like how we we do it in in daily lives right like we buy designer clothes we we carry it we buy a certain car um but i think there's it's a little weird still for people to think about that in in digital sense i know you do your your company does a lot of marketing work are you is this a conversation you guys have with your clients is is there a conversation about digital cloud and and things along those lines i'll 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 just put it like this i any given week i have three to five Clients specifically in the NFT space, uh, the crypto NFT Web three space that's coming to me, um, so much so that we we had to spin up Blast Radius to to be able to handle all the demand. Um, I I think that clients are are slowly. I think other clients that are not necessarily crypto specific are also starting to think through it a little bit more when they think of it in terms of the utility that it could bring to their fans in particular. Um, so, for instance, we just released. Uh, that we we actually built the branding for the latest CDL team, uh, the Boston Breach, and I mean, not gonna you know divulge anything too much here, but I mean the ability to be able like the idea of utilizing an NFT or cryptocurrency or something along those lines to to help give fans something that others can't because they're willing to to make that type of commitment. The conversation definitely comes up. Yeah. As well as with, I mean, with other clients as well too that that we're having in the space, as as well as with AOE, uh, AOE clients in, in general, that there there there's now this general curiosity that's coming around it. Right. Um. So it's people are starting to think more about it. Um. What we've been trying to do is kind of help them guide them in the mindset of like, okay, it's cool to put the thing out there, but you need to have something behind it. Right. There needs to be some sort of foundation. Yep. There's some, there's, we, we, it's also one of our design principles at AOE specifically is like, 
we don't design without purpose. We don't design to make something cool. We design something to be, make it purposeful that also comes out cool. It there's has to be a foundation there and, and a reason why and some sort of focus on on utility right. that makes sense at the end of the day, right? Well, even because otherwise you're just slinging whatever you want. Yeah, sl- slinging JPEGs. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I mean even with board apes, even though that one was like kind of a, a spotlight questionable uh, sort of NFT project. It had technically, it did have a utility. It's a membership mm-hmm. to this sort of community. And then also there's like on the website, you can access a certain area of the website and, and interact with mm-hmm. it. And so I think that's partly why it succeeded to the level it did. It's like, yeah, this is for something. I'm a part of this club by having this. And it's not like an unspoken mm-hmm. thing like, oh, yeah, I know like six other people have this. So I guess we're a club. It's like, no, this is the Board Ape Yacht Club. You are now a member mm-hmm it felt different. And before I saw how expensive they were, I was interested in one. <laughs> and then I was like, I there, can't. There's even another one as well too, uh, called friends with benefits out that if you own one out in LA, it's a, it's a very similar thing where it's like it, you're, you're joining a part of a, a really specific community. Um, and with, with a specific community, with specific discord, you, you get specific information that can benefit you or, you know, utilize it however you will. Right. Like information is power at the end of the day. Right. Well, and what's interesting about the esports community that just, popped up in my head as I was considering this is that from the fans perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. like special benefits. It's like, if I, if I love following Dallas fuel, it's like, Oh, I, maybe I, I pay for some sort of membership through an NFT and then I can transfer that membership easily, which these are some benefits of kind of NFTs and, and other systems using blockchain. I can transfer that and it's like, Oh, I, I'm too busy or I've outgrown this, but I can give it to my son. And now he's this gold member or something like that. They can get in to the front row for their next, you know, competition or something. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so for, I think where we're headed, you know, it would, it would be awesome to see, you know, making sure we follow some best practices, you know, as game developers and, and you, I'm sure know as well, Nabil is like, you don't want to make games where you can play to win or pay to win. Uh, and so you don't want NFTs to basically let people buy victory, especially in esports. I mean, when we're talking competitive and like people are money's on the line and people are putting real energy into this, you don't want to say, oh, if you buy this NFT, that gun's way stronger. So anyone who's who's not in that space, so clients that come to us, that's that's an important note. So when you're designing something, consider that make sure these um, these new kind of metaverse implementations into your systems they're they're cosmetic or they are access uh but they're not like a superpower move or something and unless that's in the design but that gets really really tricky because yeah you, like as a gamer like how do you want to deal with that like oh the rich kid can beat me because he's rich right i would leave like, yeah there, i don't think there's anybody i could think of that would stay in a game like that maybe the rich kid i guess yeah. right <laughs> the, the rich kid, he'd love it then yeah. you just got battle of rich people i mean right. you know i i would watch that but it, at the end of the day it's like <laughs> I, I I do agree with you. Like at the at the end of the day, I think the mindset that I mean, we we I have a, a couple of friends that are already developing into this, and the mindset is ninety percent. Like when you're building your project, ninety percent build for a fun gameplay experience and a great gameplay loop that that is addictive, and you want to build a community around that and slide in ten percent right of something that does not affect your gameplay, something that's cool, something that's cosmetic. And you will be just fine. But I, I cannot emphasize enough community, community, community. That's all that really matters is, is building something that 
they want to play with their friends and they're excited to come home from work and jam the latest one. And, and, and if, as long as they have that, that there for them, they don't mind spending the extra 10, 20, 50, 100, $200, $300 on this game because they love it and right. it's giving them hours of enjoyment. I, I guess the best example is if you look at Riot's model, like if you, if you look at everything that Riot does, always free to play, everything that there's there hasn't been a single game that you have to pay to play. And if you really want to get to something, you can get there if you put the time in. You don't need to spend the money unless it's purely something that's cosmetic. You can chunk some money in there if you want. But at some level, the game, I feel like Riot has done such a good job of having you fall in love with the game, the universe, the characters. And it almost feels like this relationship of they've given me so many hours of enjoyment, not only with me, but with my friends and met making memories that I, I can't replace. Right. So if they've given me all these things, I, I only feel like it makes sense for me to give them 10 bucks on this battle pass, which will encourage me to ultimately play more, drop a hundred bucks on this skin set that I'm adoring and is going to, you know, make my experience more fun. Right. I, I think that, I mean, it, it, it makes sense if you continue to follow that type of a model and you have the mindset, it's just, I think it takes a lot of uh, time and effort and, and investment sometimes. Sure. Yeah. And and with any, I, I, the game industry is really, it's to me, it seems unique, but maybe it's because I follow it so closely, but the game industry is unique in the sense that it shifts through these monetization strategies. So like mm-hmm. in film, okay, you go to the movies, you can buy the DVD. Now there's streaming, but it, those three are kind of over decades of, of industry shifts. With gaming, yeah. I feel like every few years there's a new monetization. You know, now it's battle passes. Before it was loot crates, and yeah. and you know, free to play was a big one that that had a lot of controversy. And now around. we're shifting over to to games uh, as a service, though. With like with specifically with Game Pass, I would also make the argument of like that is literally the best deal in gaming right now. If you have kids, it's the best value easily. Right. Oh yeah. 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 No. And and now Netflix is getting in on that game. They see that, and so now Netflix is offering as a service games. Right. So. Yep. Um, so it's just interesting, and and I see uh, kind of blockchain technology, NFTs, Web three, Metaverse, sort of whatever umbrella you want to use as another potential monetization place for games. But I don't think it has to be gross. It's just that you know the people who make these games need to make money. They need to find a way to hopefully give value that's fair. Um, free to play is one that was interesting because it's like, hey, here's a free game, right? And then some companies were bad about like, yeah, but then it's paywalled after level one and that's frustrating. Yeah. And, and then now it's, yep. you know, people have found better things that people that the community likes. And and so it's it's evolved. And I, I see this space being the same. There's going to be a lot of bad actors and, and bad implementations, but I think there will be some good implementations that come from it. I know play to earn isn't a space that I'm personally in, but if if it was, it sounds intriguing. Like, oh, I can I love playing video games and I can earn money. That sounds great if it's done well. Yeah. Right. So um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities that are kind of exciting about this new digital era that we're entering. <laughs> so um, I would be curious, Nabil, what your um, like as ser- the services you offer uh, as sort of a, a potential layman is approaching you, like what can you bring to somebody that as a team at AOA or AOE uh, or, or Blast Radius? Like what, what are the things that, like, hey, if you come to us, we can do X, Y, Z for you. Oh, yeah. Um, bread and butter is easily branding, like branding, marketing, uh, creative uh, design. All, the, the way I like to describe it is like it, from, the beauty of it is that I like to explain it as from ideation to execution, we can handle it. 
Um, so as a result, we've we've handled branding projects from um, everyone from like Lego Games to uh, working with uh, working with indie indie uh, indie game developer double A developers, right? Uh, for game uh, projects, we've done uh, full clothing lines for point one percenters out there. So Metal Umbrella, uh, we built his clothing brand and his first three uh, releases of clothing. Um, so you you also probably will see him in the news. He he just uh, is showing off his three thousand square foot creator space that he opened up in Austin oh, awesome. uh, as an incubator for new talent. Um, we've handled uh, website development. So if you look up the Story Mob, we handle everything from there, uh, updating the look and feel as well as web design and development for all of that. Um, I mean, and why is that important, right? So, like, that, those are what the mm-hmm. services you offer. But, like, well, why do I need branding if I'm? I mean, if you're talking to like a double A game developer, they probably know this. But if you're an indie developer, or maybe you're spinning up an esports team, you want to invest in esports, so you you fund a team. Why yeah. is what you do important for them? Yeah, great question. Um, I think especially in an era where now it, more than ever, uh, especially with with kind of COVID and, and as well as uh, the the sh- overall shift that that has pushed over to digital, I think understanding the perception of your brand and understanding what you want to put out there in the world is also going to attract the type of clients and customers that you are going to get as a business, right? Like the the mindset that you need to have more than ever, in my opinion, is how are you reaching out to these market to these new markets and to your clients in a creative way, um, because the normal stuff doesn't always cut it. And that might not always be the easiest way to reach out to these people. Um, my mindset is always uh, community first. I always think about how do I build a community, a fan base, a, 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 an organization? Like, how do I build all these people people to that one niche thing? And if you truly are the best at what you're doing, getting their attention and putting them behind it is it can be really tricky sometimes. So um, you got to have I, I like to explain in the idea of like, you, we help people being able to to build that D and D character from the inside out, right? How do they think? How do they speak? How do they look? And not only that, wh- whenever it comes to how they outwardly face and how they want the world to perceive them, how are you going to outreach to these people, build and bring them together to ultimately support you and what you believe in, and building something that that's worthwhile for the world? That's a, that's a great point. I mean, it's the it's the who's the persona? What who is this gaming audience that you're reaching out to? And and one of the projects that we're working on, Paracosm, you know that that particular project is a cast of kids in the game. But it's like, well, we're not necessarily looking for seven year olds to play the game. So that that persona discovery and how do you reach that persona, it, you know, becomes really important in those cases. Um, otherwise, you're kind of yelling to a part of the room that no one wants to hear you, while maybe there's another room. Yeah. that they do right exactly. <laughs> yeah so um well that's that's super helpful and and you know i really hope that people will, will have an opportunity to reach out um if they do want to reach out to you nabil where where's the best way to contact either you or your team to either have a conversation about what we've talked today about or about your services yeah absolutely um so if you want to reach out to aoe uh, you can go to aoecreative.com or uh, hit us up on Twitter at uh, at aoecreative. Uh, Blast Radius, you can reach out through blastradius.agency uh, as well as Blast Radius out on social media. And for myself, uh, you can find me on Twitter at NeptuneFGC. Um, I or just look up Neptune. I'm I'm all over the place on every one of these platforms. And if you want to chat, uh, my DMs are open. I'll, I'm always down to chat and talk and and help people. 
Uh, I'm lucky enough that I've been able to do this for over 10 years and just be able to talk about video games and, and do dumb stuff and, and make cool things with cool people. And I don't intend on stopping anytime soon. So uh, if anybody wants to reach out, they're more than well happy to. That's awesome. Yeah. And we'll make sure we, we add links so people can easily just click uh, and find you. I love, I also love that your company's names are like video game references. Uh, it just makes me happy because <laughs> I, I obviously am very familiar with AOE Creative, but the the Blast Radius, that was the first time I heard the name of that, uh, of that sort of sub, sub team. And uh, it's just great. So <laughs> thank you for doing that. <laughs> so perfect. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, you know, it's always great seeing you again and, and looking forward to, to having more of these conversations off off camera. And, and you know, in the future, when when you guys have cool partners you want to talk about, we'll have you back on and, and uh, share some more cool stories. 100%. Thank you guys so much for having me. Cool, man. All right. Take care. Thank you. You too. All right, Liam. So what are, you know, we talked a bit about what I didn't really give you a proper introduction on stuff you've done, but I think it's cool. So what are some of the competitive <laughs> stuff that you have done in gaming? Um, so I got really competitive with Beat Saber. I never did any like tournament, anything, but just looking at the raw Oculus leaderboard, I got to like top 300 like months ago. I'm, I'm down to like 1,900 now, but how, how many, like, what do they, what do they even give? Like, is it out of X number or do you can, I don't even know. Like, do you know how the, the pool of people that play that in a yeah. serious level? So you can, you can look at the leaderboard and it shows the entire global and then you can go individual. Okay. Where am I on that? Where's like, how many people have done this? You can actually look that type of data up online, but um, I got really far into it. And then we just got this big winter storm. My power went out and I couldn't play Oculus for like a week or two and uh-huh. then i just like completely dropped off after that oh no and like got from the top leaderboard points down to like oh mid yeah uh, thousands yeah. What, what was that process like for you and um you know not to to bloat our recap too much but i'm curious to get to that level of of skill and competition like was it hours of practice every day like what did that look like so it pretty much just boiled down to I want to work on this one song. Mm-hmm. And then that one song was all I played for like two weeks. Gotcha. And I played the game every single night for like three or four hours. So I like hammered down really hard on each of these songs to get it as uh, a score as high as possible, really. Right. And just sense. the, uh, I don't know, dedication. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I mean, and, and there was some like, there was a, a brief pay, uh, period where I was like, I want to get into esports personally. I like competition. Um, there's some games out there I liked uh, at the time, and and it was uh, at that moment it was Overwatch, and I still enjoy playing Overwatch. But I was like, let me see what it takes. And uh, and I had a friend in the industry who was like, well, you're too old. Your reaction time is too slow. But I was stubborn. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to figure it out. And so I I started to do the research. But yeah, like you said, the level of dedication to get competitive in these spaces is extreme and i mean yeah. it really has to be a core part of your life and um and and you have to, to dedicate yourself to that and so the people that are in these spaces so again if you're looking to invest in an esports team or get into the space um from the investor point you know make sure you find people that are serious about this it is kind of their life focus at the at the time in their lives anyway um and then if you want to play you know it's going to take hours and hours and hours a day yeah. so um and what was interesting about your story it's like you kind of assumed that but it was like no one song yeah. for hours and hours a day for weeks right right and then just like the harder and harder it gets the more you got to spend on it and the like more you have to hammer down and like okay this is 
And I've had so many interactions where this thing is completely foreign and then I just spend 20 hours on it and right. then it becomes a second nature sort of thing. Right. And then, yeah. but you still can't get like perfect 100% at it because then it gets second nature and you go to the next thing. And right. Next thing. Right. And it's just, yeah. 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 So esports is really interesting. You know, um, we, we love the community and, and we want, we hope to build experiences in the future that the esports community can participate in. Our current projects are all pretty much focused on either limited multiplayer or single player. Um, but in the future, you know, this is a space we would love to, to, offer to the community some of our skill sets but uh, until then we'll just be sort of fans and, and players um, but with that we'll sort of wrap up the episode uh, again big thanks to Nabil to Liam and uh, make sure you like subscribe and follow us on all the cool podcast channels and on YouTube so take care everyone